Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. Steve Bingley here. Hey, what a joy and a privilege it is for me to worship with you today. You know, there's a really fascinating and tragic story of a famous painting in 1908. A Norwegian man by the name of Nikolai Christian Mustad, he purchased a painting called Sunset at Mont Majeure. And he purchased this painting because he believed that it was an original masterpiece from the renowned Vincent van Gogh. Well, the story goes that an influential individual visited his home and upon looking at the photo, uh, said to Mustad that it was not an original van Gogh. It was an inauthentic, fake van Gogh. So as you can imagine, Mustad, to his great disappointment, he took the painting and shoved it in his attic until the day he died. Well, After his death, uh, his home was sold and his new homeowners moved in. You can imagine their great surprise when they opened the attic and there was a beautiful painting. And they had a suspicion that this painting may be an original Van Gogh. And so they took it to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. And in the year 2013, they announced that Sunset at Montmajor was a true authentic painting from Vincent Van Gogh. So... What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is anytime you move into a new house, you better check the attic because you might be sitting on millions of dollars. Go do it right now. No, you know, I find the story so tragically fascinating because Mustad didn't get to enjoy the very thing that he had possessed all along. I mean, the painting was right there in his house. It was in his attic the entire time, but because of a voice which misled him, he never really got to enjoy what he possessed. And I share this because, you know, I I wonder if sometimes if followers of Jesus can experience the same thing, where where we we walk with Jesus, and in so doing, we, we possess these incredible gospel privileges But because of a voice that came along and misled us or misrepresented how we see God and view God, we actually don't step into the very privileges that God has already graciously given to us. Now, you might be exploring the Christian faith and wondering, what are some of these uh, privileges that you're talking about that followers of Jesus experience? Well, in a moment, we're going to see a few of these. And what we're really going to find and be astonished by is that these privileges really build up to what some have said is the great ultimate privilege of the follower of Jesus. This is what we see in the scriptures in in Romans chapter eight, verse 14. Paul writes this. He says, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so we need to park here for a moment to give you some context. If you have never read the book of Romans, Romans is a master class on the core central message of the Christian faith, namely 
the gospel or the good news of the work that Jesus has accomplished on the cross for you and for me. And so Romans, it not only unpacks what the gospel is, but as each chapter goes by, it also unpacks the incredible implications, the gospel privileges that flow out of the gospel and the work of Jesus. The first privilege that we really see surfacing in the first seven chapters or so in the book of Romans is that God, when we place our trust in Jesus, moves our sins away from us. He moves our sins away from us, namely that the penalty of sins is taken care of, that we are, all of our sins are completely forgiven, that there is now no condemnation, Paul writes, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul, he uses big grand words like justification or propitiation, all these beautiful words to unpack how God has taken our sins and moved them away from us. But when we get to chapter eight of Romans, the chapter that we were just in a moment ago, Paul makes a turn and paints a second privilege of the gospel, that not only has God moved our sins away from us, but also that his spirit has also moved into our lives. That God's spirit or the Holy Spirit, the third person of God dwells and resides in our hearts. He guides us and then he leads us. But in the passage that we just read, Paul says, hang on, there's more. There's another one. Paul writes, not only have your sins been moved away, not only has the spirit moved into your life, but you have moved. You have moved into God's family. God becomes your heavenly father, the creator of the universe, your father. You, a child of God, a daughter of the king, a son of the living God, God is your father. Father, in fact, the verses that we just read, it almost made it sound like the privilege of having the Holy Spirit wasn't simply for the Spirit in and of himself, but even the Spirit really points to the privilege of seeing that God is our Father. We'll look at the verses again. Paul writes, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Did you notice the link between the spirit, the privilege that we have, but also that we are his children and the spirit ultimately testifies like an attorney and bears witness like, like an attorney laying down all the evidence on the table to say, you are a child of God. God sent Jesus, whom he called the Father, so that you can also call him Father. It's incredible. This is what led J.I. Packer, the great theologian, to say adoption, it's the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. Like to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Or oh, our sins have been moved away. The spirit has moved in, but we have moved into God's family. Now you might be saying, and I already knew that. That is Christianity 101. And in so doing, we might miss the awe and wonder of it all. What I would give to be a fly on the wall 
when Paul the Apostle, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing and penning Romans 8. Look, we, we have to remember that Paul, he, he, was, he had a bicultural upbringing. On the one hand, he grew up as a Jew. He had a Jewish upbringing. And at the same time, he had a Greco-Roman upbringing. And I believe that when he thought about this concept of God as father, both his Jewish mind and his Greco-Roman mind would have been blown. I mean, just think about the mind blown emoji, blown for both. Let's start with his Jewish upbringing. On the one hand, we read Abba, Father, that phrase, Abba, Father. You know, historically, uh, Jewish children, uh, when growing up and when they were taught to pray, they were given about somewhere between 30 to 40 terms or titles for how they should address God in personal prayer. Nowhere was God the Father one of those specific titles. In fact, nowhere in the Old Testament, there is no historical Jewish document that shows one individual personally addressing God as father until the 10th century AD with one exception. A Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus who was ministering in Galilee, he walked around calling God father, saying pray like this, our father in heaven and his contemporaries thought he was crazy and had a demon. But yet, this Paul with that Jewish upbringing says, you call him Abba, Father. Abba, this was a, a term in which uh, children could speak to their fathers. It was an informal intimacy. And Paul is saying, you can talk to the creator of the universe like that his Jewish mind blown. What about his Greco-Roman mind? Well, we read two phrases. One was the spirit of adoption, the spirit of adoption. In Greco-Roman culture, uh, when someone was adopted, there was zero difference between the biological child and the adopted child. They were viewed exactly the same way. Furthermore, Paul uses the terms sons of God, sons of God or God's sons. Now, why only sons? Well, in a male-dominated society, only uh, sons had really full privileges of uh, like the inheritance, right? Full rights as a child. Paul here though, he's saying in Jesus, whether you are a male believer, a female follower of Jesus, you are, there, is, there are no second-class children of God. Every single person, you are a full child of God, full benefits, full privileges. You and I, in Jesus, a child of God, he is your heavenly father. And so the question that we need to ask is, do you and I live in light of the awe and wonder of this reality? Do, do you find yourself waking up and stepping into work or school or your coffee date with a humble confidence because of the reality of who you know who your dad is. In all seasons of life, are you able to cry out, Abba, Father? Or somewhere along the way has maybe a misleading voice has led you to take this idea that you already possess and not really enjoy it it's almost collecting dust in an attic somewhere and you own it, but you don't really enjoy it. 
Maybe one of the reasons why we're not able to enjoy it is because of the complexity of even that word father, because if we're honest, it kind of evokes ideas of our earthly dads. Look, all of us, when we think about our earthly dads, some of us, we have some happy thoughts that come to our mind, and others of us have mixed thoughts because we were wounded by our dads or dad really wasn't around. And so when we try to to think of God, the father, the initial filter that we see him through is our earthly fathers. And so it kind of evokes the strange imagery, almost like of Darth Vader when he says, Luke, I am your father. And we're like, no, thanks. Like, I'm just going to stick with Jesus. But I want to press in here because I believe God's word knows a thing or two about your human wiring and my human design, namely our great human need for a father's love and a father's approval. Dr. Peggy Drexler, she is a psychologist and a professor at Cornell. She did a research study in which she interviewed 75 really highly um, achieved women, and she wrote a piece on psychology today, and here's what she said. No matter how successful their careers, how happy their marriages, or how fulfilling their lives, women told me that their happiness passed through a filter of their father's reactions. Many told me that they tried to remove the filter and, much to their surprise, failed. We know that fathers, they play a key role in the development and choices of their daughters. But even for women whose fathers have been neglectful or abusive, I found a hunger for approval. This is also the case with men as well and boys. Dr. Frank uh, Pittman, he is a psychiatrist and he's a family therapist. In his work, Man Enough wrote this about boys. Life for most boys and for many grown men, it's a frustrating search for the lost fatherhood who has not yet offered protection, provision, nurturing, modeling, or especially approval. There are some who have called this this need for love and approval from a father as a primal need. And there's some good news. Even if you and I did not receive with perfection that love and approval from an earthly father, you and I can receive it in full from our heavenly father. And I think we see this because of Jesus. Scholars say that Jesus, before he began his earthly ministry, his earthly father, Joseph, had passed away at some point. But yet if you read the gospels all throughout his earthly ministry, we find that Jesus receives all the approval and the spiritual resources that he needs from his heavenly Father. And so herein lies a profound truth. And this is really encouraging for you and me, is our Heavenly Father really is the perfection of all that we are truly looking for in our Father. Now, our earthly fathers were, they were reflections. They were reflections who did the best they could or knew how to do. But our Heavenly Father is the perfection for all that you and I are looking for. And He's available to you in Jesus. And so here's what I wanna invite you to for the next few minutes. I want you to experience from God's word the power and peace of having a heavenly father. I wanna hold up for you two portraits of dad, two portraits of your heavenly father from the scriptures. And for some of us, it might kind of feel like we're need to dust off some cobwebs from a photo and you're all invited. So here we go. Here is the first portrait of our Heavenly Father. One, you have a completely reliable 
In other words, when we see the scriptures, one portrait of our heavenly father would be that he is completely dependable, completely reliable, and so faithful. Jesus described God in this way in Matthew 7, 9. Who among you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked him for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil, you know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus here, he's really playfully uh, describing what God is like by describing the interplay between an earthly father's competence and an earthly father's care. So Jesus is saying, look, look, like earthly fathers, they were competent to a certain extent. Like they would know the difference between a can of tuna and a rattlesnake. They would know the difference and they were willing to a certain extent. Like they would at least occasionally take you to the drive-thru at McDonald's because they didn't want to cook for you. So the logic of Jesus, it's a super simple logic. He's saying, if earthly fathers who were limited were willing to do that for their children, Do you not think that your heavenly father who is unlimited, who has no weakness, no darkness in him, he is full of power and might and compassion and goodness. Don't you think that he will also be competent and caring in your life and my life? Look, let's just be honest. Sometimes we can kind of view God through the filter of how our world views the weaknesses and frailties of our earthly fathers. Isn't that true? Like sometimes, some of us, we kind of view God like he's nice. You know, he's, he lets our friends come over all the time, but he's not that competent. Like we would never ask him to help us with our college essays, unclog the toilet. Are you kidding me? He's going to mess it all up. Where our view of God is that he, he's up in heaven somewhere and he's really nervous about everything that's happening in the world and in your life and in my life. And he just needs a minute. Like he needs to do a couple of breathing exercises. That is not who your heavenly father is. Oh, he is so powerful and willing to serve and love. I mean, just in the first chapter of the Bible alone in Genesis 1, we find that God creates worlds with his words. Out of the power of his word, he's creating galaxies. So just chapter one, here's how competent our God is, our father. He is a linguist. He's an engineer. He's an architect. He's a creative and a poet. He is so competent and caring. Some of us, we swing the opposite direction, right? Where our view of God, he's like this powerful CEO of the universe, pulling all the right kingdom levers, doing miraculous works. And he also forgets our birthday doesn't show up to our games. And his prayer voicemail inbox is always too full for us. That is not who our God is. He's so close. He's intimately acquainted with your life and mine. In fact, he might know more about your life and my life than we would want him to know. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 30, that he even knows the amount of hairs that we have on our heads. He is so intimately acquainted. He not only sent Jesus into the world, but the spirit has moved into your life and the spirit is bearing witness that your father is with you. You might be saying, okay, that's great, but my life circumstances sure don't explain that. Because like, it feels like the waves of life are just crashing all around. So explain that to me. Maybe this illustration may help. So a while ago, uh, I took our family to the ocean and we were just playing out on the water for a couple of days. Now I got four little kids. That is partially a prayer request. 
And we went out to the sea and we played and we had a blast. Now, my youngest one, he's three years old going on, th- on 13. Uh, I took him out to the ocean and I held him the entire time closely. And every wave that would go by, I would hold onto him. Here's why. Because it was about trust building. It was about trust building. I wanted him to know that as each wave came by, he, even if he lets go, I will never let go of him. I will cling on and hold on to him. But for my oldest, my 10-year-old, to those same waves, I told him to go charge it with a surfboard. In fact, I kept yelling out this instruction. You got to paddle into the wave. Paddle into the wave. Why? Because for him, it was about training. It was about training. I wanted to build his character and his competence. In the same way, if I could think that way with my own limitations, do we not think that our heavenly father would know how to care for us well, how to train us well? Wouldn't he know how to operate in our lives? There is one big difference though. I had zero power to stop the waves and I never knew when those waves were coming. But your heavenly father, who owns every square inch of the universe, nothing catches him by surprise. He's surprised by nothing. He's totally reliable. So you should turn to him. You can pray. You can go and vent and share your heart with your father because he's reliable and dependable. Here's the second portrait. You have an infinitely tender father. You have an infinitely tender father. There was a writing called Father Forgets, Father Forgets by W. Livingston Larned. And in this piece, uh, Larned is really writing a confession of a dad who has had the heart of criticism towards his young child. And what he has realized is as he's criticized him for not making his breakfast the right way, you know, making, getting his shoes dirty and not cleaning up the right way. As he's criticizing the whole day, he comes to the conclusion that he has not right-sized his expectation of his sons. In fact, he had placed adult expectations on a mere child. And so he writes these sad words. He says, what has habit been doing to me? The habit of finding fault, of reprimanding. This was my reward to you for being a boy. It was not that I did not love you. It was that I expected too much of youth. I was measuring you by the yardstick of my own years. I'm afraid I visualize you as a man. Yet as I see you now, son, crumpled and weary in your cot, I see that you are still a baby. Yesterday, you were in your mother's arms, your head on her shoulders. I have asked too much, too much. And this is, will resonate with many fathers with young kids. And sometimes we think that this is what our heavenly father thinks and feels after a long day. Where all day he's just been critical and he has criticized us for failing and you didn't do that right and you you messed up here. And after we fall asleep, we think that our God in heaven's like, oh boy, angels, whoops, I did it again. I, I, I did that critical thing again. Jesus, I know you died for the penalty of their sins, but it's all gonna be okay because, you know, they're gonna get therapy for eternity. That is not the posture and heart of God the Father. Oh, he is so compassionate. 
He's so tender-hearted, so warm-hearted, our fathers. He views us accurately. He has right-sized his view of us. One of my favorite descriptions in the Bible of how if how God our Father, his posture is towards his children. It comes from Psalm 103, King David has penned it. And I, as I read it over you, I want you to listen closely for the, the heartbeat and the pulse of God the Father for you. Here's what it says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in faithful love. He will will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. So for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord, his compassion on those who fear him, for he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. Does that sound like a heavenly father who is really disappointed right now because you didn't read your Bible yesterday? You know, in the passage we just read, that phrase, slow to anger, it's so beautiful. It literally means in the original Hebrew, long nostrils. In other words, God is not like a bull with flared nostrils ready to come charging at us. In fact, our, our father, if anything, he, he can, he's got a long wick. He can put up with a lot, a lot. Now he, he's perfect. He's holy. He absolutely is. And so in love and for training purposes, he will correct us. He will train us. He will discipline us for our good. And he will do so remembering our frailty and our weaknesses. And he will do so with a love that stretches to the heavens. You know, in our culture today, we have phrases like, be kind to yourself, or you gotta give yourself some grace. There is no one who will outgrace and outkind treatment of you than how your father treats you. The Puritan John Flavel wrote this. He said, remember that this God in whose hand are all creatures is your father and is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. In other words, if you think you're being kind to yourself, you are not being kinder to yourself in the way that God is already being kind towards you. You cannot out compassion for yourself the compassion with which he is already loving and embracing you in this moment because of the work of his son, Jesus. There's a beautiful and well-known story which captures this compassion. A few years ago, the evangelist, the late great famous Billy Graham uh, passed away and went home to be with the Jesus he had so often preached about. At his memorial service, there were many beautiful stories. One really beautiful story was from his daughter, Ruth Graham. Um, And at the memorial service, she gave a tribute story. And it gives us a tiny glimpse of God's compassionate heart for us. To to lay the context, Ruth Graham shares in this story that uh, after being married for 21 years, uh, her marriage ended in divorce. 
And then shortly thereafter, she rushed into a relationship and got married on New Year's Eve. And then 24 hours later, she fled. And here's what she says. What was I going to do? I wanted to go talk with my mother and father. It was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to daddy? What was I going to say to mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. Let me tell you, you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. And many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway. And my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. It's a beautiful story. And you need to know that that story is a tiny drop of paint on the endless canvas of your Father's love for you. You have a heavenly Father. Praise Jesus for His incredible work on the cross. We need to sing and stand and worship our beautiful Father and our Savior Jesus for all that He has done. Join me in worshiping Him. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.